0: Hey, uh, good morning! And uh, so this week um, we're talking about crisis, and as in all good things, and how it works. My computer crashed on Wednesday and Thursday; is now officially dead. Uh, we are going to take it to Apple doctor on Tuesday and hope it resurrects. Um, so today we're going old school. So you'll need your Bible, all right, or your phone or whatever you do. If you don't have it, look next to your buddy next to you and and, and go along because we're going to have to go old school and. Uh, just do it so I don't have any slides for you. And uh, and I just want to say that um, on the step-by-step that um, if you get a hold of Pam, now's the time to ramp that up. And guys, uh, the guy speaking at Men's Retreat this year is Peter Weary, and he is a coach, a life coach for college basketball coaches. And so he brings a lot to the table, uh, works with a lot of dynamic people, and I, th- I think you'll really be energized by him. So I want to encourage you to sign up for men's retreat. All right, now let's pray and we'll do the message together. Father, as we come into this, we're talking about crisis. It's not a foreign subject to us. Many of us have been through it. Some of us are in it right now. And as we come into this, uh, much of this will be a remembering of what you've told us many times. But uh, Lord, every time we go through something, we learn on a deeper level. So uh, adjust the level and conversation to what you're trying to... uh, reach out to us with, and and Father, you have permission to take these discussions uh, wherever you are, because this is your church, and we are your people, and so we give that to you in your name, amen. All right, I would like you to turn to Psalm 46, and while you're turning there, let's just define crisis, because I found, uh, I know we know what it means, but definitions are always helpful. Uh, Definition of crisis is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger or some combination of that, right? A time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. And then the second uh, definition kind of slides along next to it is this. A time when a difficult or important decision must be made. So a crisis is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger and a time when difficult or important decision must be made. And you can see how those two often come together because it's when you're in crisis, you suddenly have to figure out, oh my goodness, what do we do next? Right? I don't know what to do next. Well, now what do we do? Uh, We just sang that song, Oceans, and it captures that so well. Take me out into waters that are deep, right? And uh, the idea there is that uh, there are things in life that are way deeper than what we are equipped to go through. And so that's where we really need the Lord's help. Is And often where people turn to the Lord is when they experience a time of crisis. When do churches fill up? Do you remember the last time the churches in this country filled up? It was called what? 9-11. What was that? A national crisis. right? And suddenly everybody went, oh... My goodness, we need to do something. And so they turned uh, to the Lord. You know, if you think about it, uh, many of you, I'm looking, I know you know the word, I know you've been in the word today. If you really look at it, the Bible is a book of crisis. Just think through the stories, think through the people, um, think through uh, the circumstances and the decisions that they they had to wrestle with. I want to suggest that it's a PhD treatise on crisis and how to handle it. In fact, uh, crisis is a part of all of our lives. I am sure all of us have been in some crisis in the past. Okay? If you're over three, you've been in a crisis. Right? And uh, if we were to just group us around, as a matter of fact, for community groups, uh, the set of questions put out, one of the questions is, what's a crisis you've been through in the past? So if we put us all in circles, sat around and said, all right, who's been through a crisis, who would share? Can you imagine? It wouldn't take long to light up those stories, right? It wouldn't take long to start, oh, well, this happened to me, or this happened to me, or I never dreamed this would happen. And and uh, very uh, intense things would suddenly get shared in a, a small group of people because all of us have been through crisis. Matter of fact, some of, us, some of us are in the midst of crisis right now. Now, you don't look like you're in crisis. You look very nice, and you look... Um, you know, very Christian and saintly and and like you've got it all together. But some of us, as we sit here, are in the midst of crisis and the people around us would have no idea. They'd have, uh, they wouldn't be able to compute at all that uh, you are facing a major life decision point uh, and, and you're not sure how to go about it, what to do with it. But some of us are there right now. And, if you aren't, I can guarantee you we will all go through a crisis in the future. There's one looming in a couple of weeks called an election. Anybody worried about that? Right? And I guarantee you, whoever gets elected, we will probably have crisis regardless. Right? This is a no-win deal here. Right? So we will be faced with how are we going to handle that. It's not going to ask us if we want to handle it. It's going to ask us how we're going to handle it. And so when it comes to these things, all of us uh, wrestle with crisis. Here's the Bible's testimony. The Bible's testimony is that God is with us in the midst of our trials. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, tell us that God is a very present help in times of trouble. Or in other words, when we find ourselves in crisis... God is there for us. He's uh, with us. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Now, stop for a second. Hey, we sing these songs, I will not be shaken and all this. How much does it take to rattle us? Really? How much does it take to rattle you? Okay. Oh, you know, everything just fell apart, but I'm fine. Really? Says, though the earth, though we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then in your Bibles there's a little word there, and it's called Salem. And Salem means stop for a second, ponder, go back, go back over what you just read, and think about it for a second. Go back over it. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. And what Scripture says in many, many passages, this is just one passage that's reflective of a very important theme all through Scripture, is that God is with us in every crisis we face. We are not in crisis because He's abandoned us. Sometimes we're in crisis because He's with us. And just because He's with us doesn't mean we will not go through crisis. And that's hard for a lot of us to unpack because we have the mentality. Sometimes even Proverbs sets that up. If I live my wife right, I'll be blessed. If I live my life wrong, I'll be cursed. And so we have: if bad things happen to me or I'm suddenly in crisis, I must have done something wrong. If I haven't done anything wrong, then then well, where is God in this whole mess? And we um, we wrestle because it feels like the floor got kicked out from us. Um, that the bottom's been pulled out. You know, the imagery here is that all that is stable suddenly starts to buckle. You ever been there? Everything you counted on, everything you thought was real, everything that seemed so firm, suddenly now buckles. It it uses the term, uh, the mountains thrown into the heart of the sea. Ever seen landslides or, or, uh, you know, the ocean swallow stuff up? That's the picture here that it's talking about. I remember looking once at an earthquake. Uh, A number of us here in the Northwest have been in an earthquake, and uh, that's what we would call this terminology here that's describing an earthquake. I remember looking out through a big window, looking at a parking lot, and that which was so solid suddenly rolled like waves of water. Any of you seen that? That's a rather unnerving thing, because when I go out in the asphalt outside, it looks really solid to me. I mean, I can jump on it. I can drive my car on it. I can bounce a ball on it. And it doesn't move. It doesn't give. And it feels really, really permanent. It is a really weird picture to see asphalt rolling like water. Right? And that's what it feels like sometimes when we hit a crisis. It's it's really unnerving. The imagery of this psalm is the sea roaring and the land buckling and collapsing into the heart of the sea. Now, what events feel like that?? Right? So uh, what types of crisis manifest themselves in a variety of different ways? So this is slide four, okay? I you like to know <laughs> Let me just walk through a couple, again, and we know. For, I, I just made a list of about 12 of them. So types of crisis. Uh, first type of crisis that uh, we talk about is a health crisis. Some of us have run into those, where all of a sudden your body isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Or something happens that you are suddenly facing a major crisis because of your health. Those of you who have cancer, those of you who have had a major operation, those of you who've had a thyroid condition or you're fighting fibromyalgia or those kind of things that are not supposed to happen to people, especially if you're younger. And suddenly you find yourself facing a major crisis because your body will not do what it's supposed to do. You can no longer function, and it's not just that you're limited. It's the end of a dream. I can't do that anymore. And you feel like a spectator on the side instead of a participant in life because you simply can't do it. And that creates a tremendous crisis in people's people's lives. A financial crisis. Any of you been through a financial crisis, right? Those are uh, really rattling when you were hoping to get ahead and now suddenly you're not just behind, but you're not recoverable behind. Like whatever we were dreaming and thought the dream was, that's not going to happen anymore. How do you adjust to that reality? We have been through many financial crises in our country. Is there any doubt in your mind that we'll hit some more? Is there any doubt that as a country we're going to have some more crises and meltdowns like we had in 2008? Or do you just think it's going to go sailing along just because we fixed everything now. It's all good. Oh. Those are tough ones. A relational crisis. You ever lost a best friend? You don't know life without them and you thought you'd go through life together and... They're not even there anymore. What happened? Uh, uh, right and you you that's who you called. that's who that was posse, that was tribe that was you didn't have a category for that not being that. Can that create crisis in your life? That can create incredible crisis. It can take years to get over something like that. Um, we can have um, weather crises, right? Uh, we just had the hurricane down in on the east coast through Florida and stuff and um, other uh, events like that. I mentioned earthquakes we have here um, and those kind of things. We just missed a big windstorm that was supposed to clobber us. So I'm very grateful for the Lord turning that and it turned into nothing. That could have been bad. Um, but those... Uh, don't ask permission, have you noticed? Uh, oh, you aren't ready today? Oh, well, okay, I'll put it off for two weeks. Let me come back, I'll call. If it's fine, then then we'll come, right? Uh, do earthquakes do that? Do they care if you're ready or not? Do they care if you've got anything stored up? Do they care if you have water? No. Do they care if there's a big 80-foot fir tree in your backyard that's going to flatten your house? No. They just happen. And they suddenly create massive crisis. For us, that storm's long over and long gone. But I guarantee you, for the people in South Carolina, that is still a major thing for them. They are still flooded. Some people still can't get back to their homes. And the water's polluted, and the stuff's messed up, and homes are filled with dry rot now and the heat down there, and it's just a catastrophe. They're saying on the level of Katrina. Yet because it didn't hit us directly, it's not our crisis. Right? Nor should it be. It's their crisis. But it'll also be ours one time. Uh, anybody have crisis because of sin? Somebody sin against you? That create any kind of crisis for you? Uh, you sinned against somebody? Has that created any kind of crisis? Right? A great deal of church is sin management. It is helping people get through the debris field of all the wicked things we think of doing to each other uh, because we're broken and fallen. And many of us have had to navigate some pretty difficult circumstances due to the crisis that sin creates for us. How about a timing crisis? Right? Any of you, uh, you know... uh, Systems people, organized people, and you put it all together, you got it all mapped, and you did the whole thing, and now the timing's not working out right? <laughs> We're going to be late. It's not God's going to crash, right? You got plans. You got to get there. I'm looking at the hard ways. They got to get a popping again. You think there's going to be any crises with that? No, nah, it'll all go totally smooth because they're very godly people. They're missionaries, right? No one have a problem. How about the rest of us? Any timing crises? Oh goodness! Does I mean timing? That, that happens dozens of times a week, right? How about a truth crisis? Uh, I want There's two sides to this one, so I want to show you how truth creates crisis. You know this already, but it's always good to walk through. This. So take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are a couple in the early church, and uh, they're true believers. And they um, watch another believer, Barnabas. And Barnabas has got a big heart. He's known as the sons of encouragement. And so Barnabas watches all the needs among the people. Barnabas has got some means. So Barnabas sells a field. And uh, he gives the proceeds to the church. And Ananias and Sapphira watch what happens to Barnabas. And they kind of like what they see happen. They notice that Barnabas is held in high esteem. They notice that uh, Barnabas gets to talk with the leaders. They notice that he has gained status because of this. And so they, they think, you know what, that's not bad. I, we'd like to have the same kind of status that we see Barnabas getting. So we're going to do the same thing, almost. The difference between Ananias and Sapphira is that Ananias and Sapphira don't quite have the same heart of generosity that Barnabas does. Because Barnabas gave the whole price of the field but they wanted to look like Barnabas. And in this, this creates the crisis for them because they aren't willing to operate like Barnabas, but they want to look like Barnabas. So they sell the field of the land, and if you look at the passage there while I'm talking along, it'll tell you that they kept some of the proceeds for themselves. Now, is there any sin in that? No. No sin at all. It's their land. They can do what they want with it. Just like if you today decided, oh, I want to sell my car, you can do that. I want to give all the money to church, you can do that. I want to give half the money to church, I want to give, okay, you can do that. It's your car. The Lord has made you steward of that. Where the trouble came in is they were trying to act like they were doing something, but they weren't really doing it. They wanted to act like they'd given the whole price of the land when they only actually gave part. In other words, they wanted the honor, but not the sacrifice. And so this created a truth crisis for them because they had to lie about what they were doing. And apparently they conspired together, husband and wife, that this is what they would do. They agreed together. And so when they did this, uh, Ananias came before Peter, and Peter looks at him and says, Ananias, why have you conspired in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Because Peter had asked him, hey, is this the full price of the lamb? And Ananias said, yes, it is. Peter says, why have you conspired to lie against the Holy Spirit? And Ananias drops dead at Peter's feet. Says the guys came in and carried him out. Without her knowledge, apparently, Sapphira comes in. Now she's in crisis, but she doesn't know it because her husband's dead. But she's not aware of that. She's aware of their script, what they came up with, what they were going to say. And Peter looks at her and says, Sapphira, is this the price of the land? And she says, yes, it is. And Peter says, you know, the same feet of the men who came and hauled your husband away are now going to carry you away. And she falls dead at his feet as well. It says that the church was in awe of the things that happened. I bet they were. All right? If... That were true today, and every time one of us lied, we dropped dead at the feet of somebody, how many of us would be left? (laughs) Truth creates crisis. You ever been in that leverage point? You ever lied because you knew you were going to be caught? You ever twist the details a little bit, you know, give the 90%, leave the 5% out? I have, and I've done it to cover my butt. And if that disqualifies me as being your pastor, so be it. How about you? Why do we do that? We're afraid. But what's happening here? Truth creates crisis for us. Okay, We suddenly have to decide how we're going to answer and whether we're going to be honest or not. And lying is a huge thing. God is really against lying. It's a very big factor for Him. And He wants truth-telling among his people with grace and gentleness and all that other good stuff that goes with it. But does truth create crisis for us? Yes, it does. When you suddenly become aware that you're doing something, that God says, you aren't supposed to do that. You're running against me. This is me you're talking to. This isn't Steve or this isn't just... this is You and I have a truth crisis. Now, another way that works is sometimes truth can get you in trouble. Go to Daniel chapter 6. As you turn there to Daniel, this is the story of Daniel. Daniel is uh, uh, an exalted elected official. Daniel is just beyond integrity. He's a guy who is a master CEO. He's second in the kingdom only to the king himself. But a lot of the other people in government don't like him. He's a foreigner. He's an outsider. He's Jewish. He shouldn't be in that role. And so they want to peg him. And politicians are really good at undercutting, pegging other people. And so they try to go after him, but there's nothing they can get. When it comes to how he operates, when it comes to his ethics, when it comes to um, his dealings with other people, he's flawless. He's spotless. They can't get anything to stick to him. Except one thing. They go, you know what? We can catch him on his religion. We can catch him on his faith. And here's how we're going to do it. And so they go to the king and they say, King, you're the king. Everybody should worship you, right? Yep. All right. We should make a law that nobody can pray any prayer except to you. And so the king puts it in order, signs it with a signet ring. And uh, according to the Medes and the Persians, that can't be broken. And then they come to the king and say, Hey, king, didn't you make this order? Yes, I did. Uh, well, there's somebody who isn't praying. See, what they did is they knew Daniel was a man of integrity and he prayed, and the, during the times of the day that he prayed, he would go to his room, open the windows, towards Jerusalem, and then he would pray. And so there they were with their cameras and their iPads and their, their cell phones, and when he opened those blinds and started praying, they just took selfies of them. Right? Well, they didn't have that stuff, right? But they had witnesses. And they went, boom, gotcha. Daniel knew what they would do. And the question was, did he still operate in integrity? Would he still pray? Or would he buckle to that pressure? And because of that, Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. And let's understand that story that God miraculously rescued Daniel. But most of the time when you're thrown in the lion's den, what happens? You get torn to pieces. All right. Matter of fact, the very guys that tried to trap Daniel, when Daniel got pulled out, they got thrown in, and it says along with their wives and children. So the whole family, the impact of this uh created a crisis for entire families and it says they were torn apart before their bodies hit the floor now we like those kind of stories because in that story we see ourselves as a protagonist like daniel and god will rescue us but if you read uh, the ministry voice of the martyrs that works with the persecuted church across our country and uh next sunday by the way is november 6th in prayer for the persecuted church i'd like to encourage you to join me with that um You'll hear a lot of stories of people who their integrity sent them to heaven, right? Because they literally died for their faith because they were given that ultimatum. They didn't buckle and it cost them their life. So truth can create incredible crisis for us as individuals. All right, some other ones. How about uh, business? Anybody in business have any crisis? Right? You ever been in a job and, and you got booted or you've, uh, you own your own company and you're up against ethical considerations and uh, it creates, uh, business can create all kinds of uh, crisis because there's months where you're just rolling and then there's famine. right? Sales jobs dry up. The release forms dry up. The permits don't come in on time and uh, it can create all kinds of crisis. How about political can political things cause crisis for us? Do you think there's going to be any crisis after this election? They will probably be wrestling with some things. I'm pretty sure we will. And it won't matter who gets elected. Right? Leadership. Anybody go through leadership crisis in their lives? Uh, bad boss? Uh, anybody been through uh, church failures with leaders? Right? There have been lots of that. Uh, leadership crisis can even be on the level of your family. Many of us have stories of moms or dads who didn't weren't there, didn't fill that gap, didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so we have had to wrestle with the crisis that's created in our lives and our brothers' and sisters' lives and uh, other people connected to that. Followership. Any of you have crisis created by the people you're supposed to be leading and they're not following? Right? We talked about this a little last week, but probably the biggest heartbreak that exists in this church is parents who are grieving for their children who have not walked after the Lord. Try to put that one in a bottle and measure it. Does that create crisis? It creates enormous crisis. It can swallow you. It can get to where you even turn bitter against the Lord for... Why aren't you, why are you blessing other people's children and not my child? And we, we turn on the Lord because we go, well, if nobody else is going to defend them, I'll defend them. And it creates a massive crisis. How about a faith crisis? Any of us ever have faith crisis? You know what? The Lord did not come through the way I wanted Him to come through. He did not answer that prayer the way I wanted Him to answer that prayer. Is He even there at all? I'm not hearing Him. I see other people hearing them, but I'm not hearing them. I, is this worth continuing? Is this worth even doing? Can there be crisis of faith? You know, when we're young and in our 20s, everything's pretty black and white, right? And We've got it, we're wired, and let's go, Jesus, rocket. And then as we get somewhere in the mid-40s, heading towards 50s, suddenly thing, the lines get blurred and things aren't as black and white as we thought. And, and suddenly our, our stuff that we all stuffed in our 20s comes burping up to the surface. And we're like, how how did this get so messy? And where where is the Lord in this? And a lot of people, we call them crisis of faith, right? They suddenly have to re-examine where their anchor is. And am I still as locked on that anchor as, as I said I was? Well, take all of these crises then and roll them into marriage. Just think of the impact these have in marriage. Think about how health crises impact marriage, how financial crises impact marriage, how relational impacts uh, affect marriage, how sin affects marriage. I know one husband that uh, gambled away their IRR savings hoping to make it big and uh, they have nothing. Now you're the wife. Does that create a crisis for you? Do you stay with that? There's tremendous impact. And the thing is, these are not fun and games. All right? These are real catastrophes with real losses and real grief and real heartache. Um, The most difficult funerals I have ever done are the funerals where the parents have to bury the children. I don't know if you've been to one of those. I've done numerous of those. But the crisis of what that creates in a parent's heart, and uh, I've never had uh, a parent not say to me, "You know what? This is wrong. This is not the way it was supposed to be. They were supposed to bury me, not this way around." Right? Just creates tremendous crisis. Hope for the future seems extinguished, and motive for continuing to keep going evaporates. Like, like you're looking at it and going, "Ah." Oh, Next five years, how am I going to make tomorrow? I can't even see past tomorrow. And I don't even know why tomorrow's worth doing. Are things that we wrestle with. And here's the thing, just because we're believers in Jesus does not mean that we're immune to the ravaging effects of crisis in life. We get walloped just like non-believers do. Matter of fact, sometimes it feels like we get walloped more than non-believers do. Have you ever looked at non-believers and go, doggone it, this isn't working out. I'm the believer. I'm supposed to be blessed and everything's supposed to go right and they're supposed to be crummy muckies and then they're supposed to need Jesus and I share Jesus and then I'm the hero. And you're looking at them and they're getting ahead. They're doing good. They don't have any pains. They're rich. They're getting all the vacations. You're going, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. This is not, not working out. If you have that, by the way, uh, I recommend we don't have time this morning, but go to Psalm 73 and read Psalm 73 and the complaint in Psalm 73, and it will help you with that battle. But um, what does the Bible tell people to do in the midst of these kind of life-numbing circumstances? In other words, uh, what are we supposed to do? I want to suggest three things this morning. Three things that are important when facing any kind of crisis. Number one, we have to know that His presence is with us. Number two, we need to lean in towards Him, not away from Him. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then number three, the important need of perseverance. We have to keep going um, in faith regardless of how we feel. Let's go through those quickly and talk about them. Point number one, in times of crisis, know that His presence is with us. Psalm 23 says this, you'll recognize the words instantly. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, sometimes that's kind of funny because we sing these songs, I will not be shaken. How much does it take to actually shake us? I mean, seriously. Right? Right? But we do that at home because we'd look weird if we did it at church. You know? (laughs) That doesn't go over well. Right? Right? So we're very calm, cool, collected, and saintly at church, and then at home we lose it. But how much does it take to actually rattle us? Not much. And this is saying something here that's really important. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, it's in the crisis that many times we sense the presence of God more real than any other time. And so we need to be looking for Him and trusting Him in the midst of the crisis because that's when He's going to do something that is significant. Jesus said in Matthew 20, after uh, He launches the disciples on what we now know as the World Missions Tour, and He begins this thing called the church, He says, Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Jesus' promise is that I will be with every age of the church. As long as there's a church, I'm with it. So that doesn't mean He was just with the early church. It doesn't mean He was with the monastic church. It doesn't mean he was with the Reformation church. It doesn't mean he was with uh, the church in England or just the church in the United States. He's with every generation. And that includes this generation. God is not surprised or a gawk at this generation. He's not going, oh my goodness, 216. Oh, what do I do? Ooh. And 217 is coming. I don't know. I, I, they've, they've outfoxed me. They've, I, I, they've stretched the rubber band too far. I can't handle it anymore. No. God says the nations are a drop in the bucket. And he's saying, I'm with you, church, to the end of the age. Psalm 34, another psalm, indicative. By the way, that's why we love the psalms. Because David, if you think through what he wrote, it's, it's utterly amazing because he captures the heart cries of people uh, in ways that almost nothing else ever has. He says this, When the righteous cries for help the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Have you ever been crushed in spirit? You ever been there where you don't even know how to get up? You can hardly breathe? There's that old country-western song, you done stomped on my heart and mashed that sucker flat. Right? Roadkill. And life has just plowed you over. You ever been there? A lot of us have. The Lord says He is close to the brokenhearted and that He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that means sometimes you got to take up all the broken pieces and the 47 pieces your heart's in and you just got to hand them to Jesus. So he can put it back together again. He can't put it back together if we're holding on to it. You've got to hand it to him. Second point. In times of crisis, the key skill that we need to develop is to lean in towards the Lord and not away from him. Right? I, I've, watched, I've been in ministry a long time and I've watched a lot of people and I've watched people go through the exact same crushing circumstances. Make it health, make it marriage, make it well, you name it. I've seen it all. Right? Car accidents, deaths, I mean murders, suicides, you name it, been through all of those. Right? And what's fascinating to me is I can watch two people go through the exact same circumstances. In one, it ricochets them towards the Lord, and in the other person it kicks them away from the Lord. And it's like what? How does that work? I mean, Shouldn't they both either move towards him or away from him? And what that tells us is that uh, it's not the circumstance that is the critical component. It's the state of the heart that is the critical component. We all look this morning because we're at church like we're leaning in. That's not necessarily true. How would you find out? Just create some crisis. Right? Like if we're standing here and an earthquake suddenly comes rolling through and we buckle like a bunch of waves and the chairs are all tossed because they're not anchored to the floor, we would find out very quickly who's leaning in and who's leaning out. By the way, you can tell in crisis, do you tend to approach the Lord or you tend to curse the Lord? You know what's really funny? Uh, no, actually, it's not funny. It's really sad. Uh, but it's so sad it's funny. Um, if you go to nursing homes, and I've been to a lot of them, Go to nursing homes. What's interesting is what comes out of people when the social skills and the mental abilities and stuff has been lost and they can no longer front their front. You see them for what they really are. And in nursing homes, you see some really blessed godly people. I mean like they radiate. Like the psalm said, those who look to you, their their faces are radiant. You see that. But then you see other people who you thought were really godly, and there's a lot of ugly stuff coming out of their mouth. A lot of bitterness. Where are we? Are we leaning in or are we leaning out? It's a critical component to how we handle crisis. And then number three, in times of crisis, there is the important need to persevere. Um, The tendency is to buckle and quit, but we are not given that option. If you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 is a chapter on encouraging people in the midst of uh, crisis and problems. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this to them in verse 32, but recall the former days when you were enlightened. In other words, after you came to know the Lord, right? You endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How many of you would joyfully accept the plundering of your property? You go home after church and realize you've experienced a home invasion. Or worse, you go home tonight, you go to sleep, and people invade your home while you're there. Hey, we're going to take all your stuff. Have you seen that commercial where the gal's doing the sofa with her friend and, oh, and it's suede? And then they flip and here's two robbers going, yeah, it's suede, I knew I had to have it. Right? So this is what happened. They joyfully accepted the plundering of the property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. What Scripture's anchor is this, is that this stuff is not permanent. There is a future home, a future place. That's where the real treasure is. Anchor on that. This stuff can be taken from us. And that's what the writer is saying to the people here that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Now that's a strange thing. He's writing to a church that knows what it's like to go through persecution, knows what it's like to lose stuff, and knows what it's like to really have stood in the gap for other people who are going through the same thing. Why would he write that? Why would he say you have need of endurance? Well, I think the answer is because it's hard when you pass the halfway mark. It gets even harder when you pass the three-quarters mark. Any of you thought, I I remember when I first came to Christ, I thought, man, by the time I'm 50, I'm going to have it all figured out. I'm a wise, godly guy. You're going to come to me. I say, this is how it works. You want to know? Look at me. Shining star, <gasps> I can help you because I intimately know God and I've walked with Him for a long time. And so now I am wise and I know the ways of the kingdom. God has taught me. I'm His friend. Okay? Sometimes I wonder if I know anything anymore. Any of you there with me? It's gotten, has it gotten harder or easier? Isn't that funny? We thought the older we get, the easier it gets. The older we get, the harder it gets. Because you can comprehend so much more of what reality is. And what the writer of Hebrews here is saying, you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And often, what we take as crisis looks permanent, but it's actually temporary. It's actually short term. It's not eternal. But we measure it as eternal and say because of that, this is the way things are. Instead of realizing God will take us through that crisis, has He brought you through the crises you've been in the past? Will He bring you through the crises you'll face in the future? Right? Now this message is tied. We're going to come back next week and uh, we're obviously we're going to talk about prayer, right? And uh, and how that ties to all this and how it ties to crisis and uh, obviously some ways to handle crisis better. But this morning... The question on the table is those three points that uh, we just went over. Do I know His presence is with me, even if I'm in time of crisis? Secondly, am I leaning in or am I leaning out? Am I leaning towards the relationship or am I leaning away from the relationship? And then the third point is, am I persevering or am I giving up too soon? Let's pray this morning. Father, as we wrestle with these things, realize these are very real questions. You've probably had many conversations with us numerous times about these three points. And Lord, sometimes we probably found ourselves doing the right things. And then other times failing badly when we should have pulled in We pulled away and uh, we felt like you betrayed us or set us up, didn't fulfill your promises. And this morning as we think about crisis, we realize that crisis because of the fall of man is a universal experience. None of us get out of here without it. And that crisis can be turned either for something good and eternal or it can be turned towards something bad And Lord, this morning, as we wrestle with that, we're going to sing a song that really emphasizes everything we said this morning. And it talks about you carrying us. And I want to pray that you have freedom for those who are doubt or faint of heart, who are wrestling, who are afraid, who are scared, that you will affirm by your Spirit what was said in this message and what's sang in this song as a living word of faith to those of us who've come this morning to honor you. And so we seek you for this. Would you be among us as we sing? And we ask this in your name. Amen.